0: Well, we've got to plan on trusting in God. It's not something that's gonna happen naturally. It's something we have to plan for. We have to be intentional about our willingness and desire and, and, and energies to actually trust God. Our, our natural selves tell us that we don't want to need anyone or anything. We, we want to be our own God. We want to be able to control our, our own fate or whatever it is we call our future. But God didn't wire us for that. He didn't make us for that. God has, God has made us to need him. God has made us to live with him dependent upon his strength and and in his life. And what we are celebrating in this season, this entire year is the fact that God kept his promise that he would send his son to die for our sin. And he's made the promise that Jesus Christ is going to come again and rapture his church. And we are celebrating the fact that we can now live in this world, though it's not our home, trusting in and looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. We're living in the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. When Christ came, he came bringing the kingdom of God, but it's not, it's not finished yet. There will be a new heaven, a new earth until that time you and I, we are caught in between the already and not yet. And as we are caught in this reality, in this stage of human history, we must trust God We must place our trust. We must plan on needing to trust in God. We should never assume that there will be a single moment when we won't need God. We will always need him. We must learn to trust him. And the good thing is God has not abandoned us. He is at work in the world hours before his death. Listen what Jesus said. This is from John 14. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Isn't that good news? Jesus says, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus kept that promise. The helper has come. The Holy Spirit has come. I love the way we began our worship today. We began by praising God and saying, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we invited the Holy spirit to be at work in our midst. He's always in our midst. And for those of us who believe he is the means of our lives, he has given us life so that we can know the truth so that we can be guided in truth. God has kept his problem and he has given us this helper. And so now we can live in the already and not yet anticipating the return of Christ. Who's gonna come and get us I'm going to tell you what we're like. We're like the little preschoolers that are over in the nursery right now. It's what we're like. Because I'm going to tell you what happened to them just a few minutes ago. A mom or a dad or maybe both took the little preschooler and said, I love you, but I'm leaving you. Right. But they said, but look, there's helpers. This helper is your teacher and this helper is going to be here while I'm not here. But don't worry, I'm coming back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And right now, mom, don't get up. But there's some preschoolers freaking out over there right now. Okay. And some of them are crying. Some of them are sad. Other ones are like, this is good. I get it. They, they, they're helping. I got the helper. I know that they're coming back to get me. So right now, between the already and not yet, I'm good. I'm going to color. I'm going to eat some, some, some cheese crackers. No peanut products. So you know, right? And, and we're just going gonna to be fine. It's going to be okay. Many of, we're, we're like preschoolers in this grand nursery that is the world. And, and some of you are like the preschoolers who are freaking out you're freaking out. Relax. God is in control, right? So one guy believes me. All right. That's good. We're going to be here the rest of the day. I got my work cut out for me today. All right. God is in control, right? Now you're just saying it because you want to get out of here. I know what's happening. I can see through all this. He's in control. He's got a plan. He's working. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a helper. We don't have to freak out. We just need to understand we need him and live in light of the reality that he has come and that he's coming again. He's given us this Holy Spirit. and, And so now we get to join God in what he's doing in the world. Now, don't think that this is just about coloring and staying in the lines and trying to get through, you know, the, the, the life that we've got. No, 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 no. We, we are, we are commissioned by God to join him in what he's doing in the world. And what is God doing in the world? He is right now engaging and invading darkness with his love and light to redeem a people for himself and for his glory. That's what God's doing. And guess what he calls us to do? to invade darkness with his light and his love and to bring the hope of the salvation of Jesus Christ to the hearts and minds of every person on this planet. That is our job. That is our main responsibility to let other people know that Christ is the savior, that Jesus has come, he's coming again and you need his light, you need his love. It's our job to make that known. And as we do that, here's what we'll see. And this is what's fun. We'll see that, that the real work of the kingdom of God is being done by God himself. We get to be a part of it. We get to be a small part of what God is doing in the world. Our part matters. It still counts, but let's face it. We are the Stacy King of the kingdom of God. Every one of us, some of you know that name. Some of you don't, Uh, there was a, a, a important moment in history. It happened on March 28th, 1990 on that night. Michael Jordan scored 69 points against the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know for some of you are like, yeah, that was a big night. I remember that some of you are like, is he joking? Is he, no, really 69 points. But although that's the way the NBA world, that's the way the athletic world remembers that night, Stacey King remembers it a little bit differently. When asked about that night, he said, I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> he hit a free throw with some seconds left in the game or something like that. Right now was his, was his point. Did it, did it change the the direction? No, no. Michael Jordan won the game. All right. But Hey, his point still counted. He was still a part of the team. Here's what we can know. Jesus Christ has already won the victory over sin and death. Amen. He has already conquered. His kingdom has come. His will is going to be done. He is going to return. He's going to make a new heaven and new earth. But while this game is on, while we are here in between the, the already and not yet, we get, to make, we get to take our free throw. Some of us are going to miss from time to time. Some of us are going to make. But here's what we got to know. God is at work. He's going to win the game. We get to join in and be a part of it. That, hip, that happens in, in as much as we trust in him. Here's what you can know. What God began before the foundation of the world, he's going to do according to his will. He has made promises in the Old Testament. He has kept kept them in the new. There are promises about the kingdom that has come. He's going to keep every one of them. What he began, he is going to carry out not only in the world, but in every one of our individual lives. Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the return of Christ Jesus, our Lord. God will do it. We get to join in. We get to be on the team, but we've got to trust him. We've got to plan to trust in him and be a part of what he's doing. In our text today, we see what it is we must trust God to do and what it is we must do to join him. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Today we are finishing this series. We're coming into the spring, getting ready for the summer. And so this is the end of our study of 1 Thessalonians 5. So we're going to look at the last five verses. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And Davis Moran is going to read for us. Uh these last five verses beginning in verse twenty three uh, of First Thessalonians chapter five. Davis go for it, buddy. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Davis. Understand we can trust God. We are commanded to trust God. We will be tempted not to. We will always be tempted not to. And instead of trusting God, we will do, many of us are doing this now. We will always be tempted to do this. Instead of trusting in God, spend our time making fig leaves to cover our shame so that we can get through life. Some of you today, some of us are tempted. Instead of entrusting in the grace and the power of our God, we're spending time cutting fig leaves, sewing them together so that we can cover our shame and our guilt and try to make something of ourselves that is presentable. Some of you today, you are living under a weight your soul was not built to bear. You're ashamed of your past. You don't know what to do with your future. You're afraid and you need not be. The reason why you're afraid is because you think you're gonna have to figure out how to make this thing work. And all you've got are some fig leaves and it won't do just as Adam and Eve were tempted rather than trusting in the love and the power and the grace of God to sew together fig leaves to cover their nakedness. So, so many today, instead of trusting in God, you're trying to build your own identity, trying to build your importance by some accomplishment that that won't matter a hundred years from now thinking that somehow that's going to survive. It's going to be able to, to provide for your eternal. soul. it won't fig leaves won't do. You need the mercy and the power and the grace and the covering of God. And he's given it in Christ Jesus. No sooner had the children of Israel come out, there was a lull in their adventure. They'd come out. Moses was going up the mountain to to, to get the law of God. And there was a lull. And while Moses was away, when there should have been this time of reflection and renewal and focus on the goodness of God, what did the children of Israel do? They, They built golden calves. Rather than using the time that they were given to pursue and honor God, they turned away from God. And we see that happening in so many believers' lives. Listen, we're going to have high times. We're going to have low times. We're going to have high times when we see the sea parted and we walk through and Pharaoh defeated. We're also going to have low times when there's Achan's in the camp and there's temptation and there's sin in those moments in between where most of life happens, where you and I have the choice, where we can choose what we're gonna do with our time, what we're gonna pursue. So many of God's children are, are making golden calves. They wanna be able to say, look what I did. They wanna say, this is what saved me. It was this, this house I was able to buy. It was this car I'm able to drive. It's this job I was able to get. It's this person I'm able to, it's this appearance that I'm able to hold on to." Can I just tell you, you're gonna lose it all. You're not going to keep that job. You're not going to keep that position. You're not going to keep that power. And by the way, if you're counting on your looks, just remember gravity is at work. (laughs) You can't depend on it. Golden calves don't do. That's why God gets so mad when we make them. Because he alone is worthy of our lives and he alone is worthy of our trust and he alone knows what he's doing and he alone wants to guide us and he alone is the one that we must trust. And to trust him, we've got to plan on it. We've got to be intentional about it. And what we see in our text today is our three ways we can trust God and then join him in what he is doing. Take note of the first one, it's this. Trust God to sanctify us. I'm gonna explain that word in a minute. As we join him in faithfulness. God's God has a will for every one of our lives. The question is, what is it? I'm going to give it to you right now. Here's the will of God. Here's the will of God for your life. Be holy. I know that doesn't sound sexy or exciting, but it's true. God's will for us is that we would be holy. It is so important to God that we be holy that he left heaven, lived a holy life, and died for our sins to make us holy so that we could live holy in him. This is the gospel. We know that God's design was that we live in harmony with God and with ourselves and with others, but we know because of sin, there's now brokenness. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with ourselves is broken. There's turmoil within, and when there's, there's conflict all around us and there's sickness and pain, why? Because of sin. But God, in his grace, he came to defeat sin. And Jesus Christ, he, he paid for our sin in his death. And he conquered death through his resurrection. And now all who will believe, repent and believe, will be saved and be able to pursue and recover God's design. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. And here's what you can know. All of your sin is pardoned. The Holy Spirit of God living in you for all of eternity. God guiding you all through this life on into eternity where you will be in a new heaven and a new earth. That... That salvation happens in a single moment. It is the moment of justification. God's will is not simply that we have a position of holiness with God, which we gain through the imputed righteousness of Christ by faith, but also that we practice what we are, that we live out what we have been made. We have been made saints. We have been made God's children. We have, we have been given his holiness to live in it here's how it works. It's a process. It's called the sanctification process. It's a work that God is doing by grace, but here's how it works. When we repent and believe in Jesus Christ, we are free to pursue and recover God's design. The more we do that, the more we will find that there are functions in our flesh, attitudes and actions that still are not under the authority of Jesus Christ completely. So we have to repent and believe and trust God with that part of our life, whether it be in, in, in the sense of, of our sexuality, whether it be in the, in the sense of our attitude, whatever it is, we give that to Christ and we become more and more like Jesus. And the closer we become to God, the more aware of our sin we are, the more we repent and believe, and the more we become holy. This is the will of God. And it's a process. Listen to how Paul described it to the church to Corinth. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. God keeps us blameless by the blood of Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, He makes us holy in our activity and attitude and actions. And it is a process by which we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, look, there are times in our lives when we are not going to sense or maybe believe or be able to hold on to tangibly the, the, the reality of the hand of God. He's there. Even though you may not feel the hand of God, you may not even see the hand of God moving the way you want the hand of God to move. God is there. In the midst of our life, God is always there. So much fun as a parent. One of the things that's fun to do is to, is to have your children go into their room into a play area and for them to, to begin to play and to, and to listen to them enter into their own little world. They enter into this play where they begin to pretend and they begin to create and they begin to have. And it's so much fun because they've entered into this world all the while oblivious to the fact that you're there. You're right there. You're you're able to to instruct, to guide, to to correct. Always there. there. It's just so much fun to to hear the games and the and the realities. Some of our children like they they like to go home and play church. A few years ago, some children went home and they set up their toys and everything. And the oldest one had them all kind of sitting there. And and the oldest one I believe was going to be Pastor Jason playing church. And so she got up, got her Bible and she said, "If you got your Bible, and I hope that you do." <laughs> and you know it was was <laughs> it was. Playing pastor, and it was, you know, the, the whole time they thought they're just in their own little world, not knowing that the, the parent was there all the while. Friends, I, I know we all we get so caught up in our own little world, don't we? We get so caught up playing our games, and here's what we need to know our father is always there. He's always there instructing us, he's always there correcting us. When a child begins to pray, play inappropriately, what does a parent do? Stop that, do this always redirecting, always guiding in truth. Why? For the blessing of the child that the child may take on the the, the very activity and attitude and actions of the parent. What is God doing with us? He's correcting us. He is present. He is loving us. He is guiding us in truth that we would take on his activity, his actions, his holiness. And friends know this, In those moments when you may not be able to see the hand of God or even feel the hand of God, his hands are holding you still. Trust him, trust God, trust that he is sanctifying us and we must join him in faithfulness. That section ends. uh, The scripture says that, that, that he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it as God is faithful. We must be faithful to him. Understand If there's a brokenness in your relationship with God this morning, it's not, it's not because of a lack of faithfulness on God's part. The problem is on our end and we need to be faithful to trust him, to trust him and to join him. Second one, this one's an obvious one, but maybe not understood. Trust God to bless us as we join him in prayer. Trust him to bless us as we join him in prayer. Paul said in verse 25, brothers, pray for us. There is is such a great blessing, not only in being prayed for, but listen to this, to actually praying for someone else. Uh, Anyone who is married here at Living Hope by any of our ministers or pastors, um, they, they are required to go through premarital counseling. And we do a lot of training and teaching. One of the things that we teach Couples that are getting married to do, and a saying that we teach them is this, the couple who prays together stays together. And we teach couples that they are to pray for one another every single day and pray specifically two things. If you're married, you need to be praying out loud at least these two things for one another together every day. The first one is this, thanking God for something specific about your spouse. If you're a husband, you pray for your wife, something specific, and it needs to be different every time. It doesn't need to be, oh, thank you, God, she can still cook. That's okay, (laughs) occasionally, but not all the time, all right? And and wives, it doesn't need to be, thank you, God, that he's still breathing, but if he doesn't stop snoring, I'm going to kill him. That's okay, occasionally, just not every time, right? We need to pray and thank God for something specific, and then, second, ask God. God to do something specific in their life. Well, what should I ask for? Ask them. Who is it they're trying to lead to Christ right now? Who is it that has wandered from the faith that they're praying for to see them return to the Lord? What's going on at work? What's happening in their relationships, friendships, family? What specifically does your spouse need to to have God's intervention in? Pray for that. Pray. And when you pray, and this is not just for married couples, this is for everyone pray specifically. The problem with most of God's children's prayers is that they're general prayers. Oh, God bless us. Well, that's great. But what does that mean? Two things I want to ask you to do when you're praying. Two things. One, pray measurable prayers. You say, what's a measurable prayer? It's something when you pray, if God answers it, you know that he did. You know specifically how he answered that prayer. Remember in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18, Elijah had defeated the the, the prophets of Baal and he is now praying for Israel with, with a confidence because he knew the promise that God had given to Solomon. God said, if you turn away from me, I will bring a drought. But if you will return to me, I will return and I will bring rain. Elijah, having, having lived now under years of drought, tells King Ahab, King, you better get on home because there's about to be a rainstorm. There's not been any rain for years, but now Elijah is praying specifically according to the word of God for rain. And he has an attendant with him. And he says to the attendant six times, go and see if you see clouds. Why was he telling him to go look for clouds? Because he was praying specifically for rain. When you pray specifically, there's a way to measure the answer of God for what you're praying for. And finally, on the seventh time, first Kings 18, the servant comes back. And he said, and what he had done is he stood up and he put his hand to the sky and he said, Elijah, there is a cloud about the size of my hand out there. And Elijah says, boy, we better get home because God is about to bring the rain and he did bring the rain. And he knew to praise God for the rain. Why? Because he had prayed specifically. Pray specifically for God's answer. Second thing, uh, pray. I'm gonna say it this way. I wanna explain it to you because it can sound like, well, yeah, but pray rightly. And by that, I mean, according to the word of God, according to the will of God. What do I mean by that? You remember when Moses was leading the children of Israel to the promised land and the children decided they didn't want to go into the land. There were 12 spies. Two of them said, we got this. 10 of them said, we're dead. We're not going to be able to make this happen. And so God's children revolted and they wouldn't go into the land. And so God says to Moses, that's it. I'm taking them out. I'm destroying the nation of Israel. And he said, Moses, I'm going to raise up from you a people and I'm going to keep all my promises through you. And if you'll remember, this is in uh, Numbers 14. Moses prays a reasonable prayer and he begins to pray. And this is what he's doing. He begins to make an argument for God to answer his prayer. When you're praying, give your reason for why you're praying. There are sometimes when you start praying and you give your reason for why God should answer that prayer you will, in embarrassment, stop praying that prayer because you'll know. I'm gonna tell you, I'll just confess to you, there are times that I have stopped myself dead in my tracks from what I was praying because I'm gonna tell you, I've seen a motivation in my life that is ungodly when I pray. Because I'm gonna tell you sometimes I, what I do, and I know you do it too, so don't look like you're judging me right now because I'm feeling that. <laughs> so just stop. Because here's what we do. Many times we pray in such a way that if God answered it, we wouldn't need God anymore. Oh God, take care of my finances so I don't have to ask you to intervene and provide for me ever again. Oh God, remove any crosses or any thorns or anything so that my faith will never be tested again so I can be comfortable the rest of my life. And God says from heaven, that's not my plan for you. My plan is for you to live knowing you need me. God's plan for us is that we be holy, that we depend upon God. And that's the reason why he provides thorns and trials and crosses so that our faith will be tested so that we will become more holy. We need to be careful what we're praying for. So Moses is praying and he prays to God and he says, God, don't wipe them out because if you do, the rest of the nations will hear and they will say he's a God who can't accomplish what he said he would do. He was praying and the argument he made was, God, answer this prayer for your glory. Answer this prayer according to your promise, according to your purpose. And here's what I'll tell you. If you're able to pray knowing that it is God's will and it's for God's glory, you can keep praying it until you get an answer. Some of you right now, you're praying for the salvation of someone. Let me tell you, God's will is that you pray for the salvation of that person because God delights to save people. So if you've been praying for someone and they've not been saved yet, keep praying, keep making the argument, God, this is for your glory, their eternal salvation. Christ died to pay for their sin. If they will believe they will have eternal life, it will be for your glory. Does that make sense? pray for God's glory, pray, join God in prayer and be a part of what God is doing in the word world. Third thing, trust God to unify us as we join him in community. God will unify us under three things that we can see in the text right here. The first one is this. It's love. God unifies us with love. You see this very interesting verse. I'm gonna preach on this. Uh, this is said several times in scripture, but uh, very few of us in North America, especially in the South, tend to live out this imperative. But in verse 26, it says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I told the 930 service, just messing around, hey, we're gonna start doing this next week, okay? Okay. I promise people started getting up. They're like, I ain't kissing no m- brother, all right? <laughs> it ain't happening. It was just, we're not gonna do that, okay? So don't spread rumors. Pastor Jason said we're gonna start kissing each other, all right? What does this mean? It, it means something very significant. It means that when people come to the church, in the Old Testament, this was a beautiful picture of how people would show honor and respect for one another. It was a way of saying, I respect you and I love you. Can I tell you that there are people right here sitting in our midst right now that feel neither respected or loved. And the, the most important thing that could happen to them today is that one of us let them know that they are respected and loved. They can't hear the the words I'm saying right now. They can't hear the sermon. They can't hear what we've been saying. They don't get any of that. Here's what they know. They don't feel like their life matters and they don't feel like anybody cares. And what we are called by God to do is make everyone who comes to this place know you are loved and you matter. Please, membership of Living Hope, Come to church every Sunday, making it your mission to make at least one person feel as valuable and as important and as respected as they are. If it's it's just walking in the parking lot next to someone that's walking and say, listen, hey, I don't know what's going on in your week this week, but God loves you. And I think God's going to do something great in worship. Pay attention. You matter. Do that. If someone's sitting alone, go sit with them. If someone's hurting, go pray for them. Show people that they are loved and that they are respected. That unifies us. That's what this is about. It's about love. It's about showing respect and honor and care. Second, it's, it's truth. Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Why? Because it's scripture. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing God's holy word. He said, this is truth. Make sure it is read. Make sure it is understood in your midst. So there's love, there's truth. And then what's the last thing he says? He talks about grace. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. If you're a Christian today, I'm going to tell you something that you and I and everyone else who believes in this room, let me tell you something we have in common. We were once dirty, dead sinners who have been brought alive and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, not because we deserve it, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And we have that unity. So when you take those three things, love, truth, and grace, it's all summed up in one name, Jesus. What unifies us? Jesus. What are we to do? We're to join in the life and the work of Jesus. What is he doing? He is calling people to new life. He's calling them to light and hope. And as our world becomes darker and more demented, the light will shine all the more brighter and all the more the love will become a compelling need in every person's life. We have the glory and the opportunity as God's people to, to join God in what he's doing it. We're the state. Casey King of the team. He's going to do it. He's already won the victory. We just get to make a layup or a few free throws. All right. They still count though. They still go on the board and there is a joy and a peace and a confidence that comes as we live out our calling in Christ. And so here's what I want to ask you today. Is that what you're doing? Are you trusting in the Lord Are you joining him in what he's doing in the work? Or are you sewing together fig leaves and making your golden calves? Are you you joining in the work of redemption? Are you praying for the salvation of others? Are you sharing the gospel with them? Are you asking for God to intervene? Are you praying practically, tactically? Are you praying that is measurable and, and something that is real and that matters that you can argue for? Are you showing Jesus Are you living this life of love and truth and grace? This is what God made you for. And if you will, there's peace. Some of you don't have peace today. Some of your marriages are falling apart. Your friendships are falling apart. Life is hitting you hard. Trust in the Lord. And ask him today to give you strength, to save you, to fill you with his power to intervene in a very specific way. Come and get on your knees today and ask for a very specific thing, measurable, that shows and will reveal His glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we need You. We don't always want to need You, but we need You. you You have made us to need You. So let us rejoice in it. And let us, Lord God, act on that need. I know some today, they need to just ask You for for intervention in a situation, maybe at work, maybe at home, some Lord God, they need to, they need to ask you to intervene and forgive them of their sin. Take over their life. Some of your children, they've, they've been going in the wrong direction and they need today for you to come and, and to correct the trajectory of the direction they're going. And they need to repent and acknowledge your leadership in their life and to live for you. God, you know the need of every one of us here. Give us now the faith to ask you to intervene. And as we sing this, may we sing it as a confession of reality and and a gladness in our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.